0: Welcome to Studio Berlin, our current affairs show here on KCRW Berlin. I'm your host, Sylvia Cunningham. Our focus today is the pandemic's effect on policies related to climate change and the environment. With Germany's attention on the COVID-19 health crisis, has climate policy fallen to the wayside? Or has the pandemic provided a test run in crisis management? A note before we get started. I am recording at home today. Our guests will be joining me over Zoom. So please bear with us if we experience any technical difficulties along the way. With me is Jakob Schlant from the energy and climate briefing of the Berlin newspaper, Der Tagespiegel. Hi Jakob.
1: Very nice to join you uh, on your show. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for being here. And also with us is Clara Meyer. She is a press speaker for Fridays for Future Germany here in Berlin. Hi Clara.
2: happy to be here.
0: Jakob, let's start with you. In the early stage of the pandemic, when so many countries went into lockdown and people quarantined all over the world, we saw this plummet in air traffic. There were these images of rivers getting clearer and air pollution subsiding. Did these changes actually have a, a measurable impact on the environment or was this kind of overblown?
1: Of course, it does have a measurable impact on the environment, but it's not relevant. It's just a a glimpse. It's uh, nothing more. It's a few months of reduced emissions. I think we learned a lot from that. Uh, We learned that even if we pretty much stop doing everything, what we do, uh, emissions only drop by 10 to 20%, which is by far not enough. For climate policy and I think uh, that taught us that we really have to invest in structure. I think that's one of the lessons we can take from the direct impact of the COVID crisis and I think overall the impact has been really positive for the climate agenda because sort of the the idea of a prevention for a crisis has really taken hold and I think that really um, left a mark and it will change how we look at prevention um, for the future. And that's basically good for climate
0: policy. Clara, you're a press speaker for Fridays for Future in Berlin. Uh, and at the start of the pandemic, the COVID-19 restrictions made it impossible for these regular protests to continue. And now, of course, demonstrations are allowed again, with some rules in place about social distancing and wearing a mouth nose covering. Do you think the climate change movement has lost momentum? Or have you seen this as an opportunity?
2: Well, you're right, we're continuing our strikes. We have our next big strike on the 25th of September. So we're hoping that it will be in real life and not just over Zoom or some other platform. Well, I think it can't be that clear because, yes, emissions did sink. And uh, as Jakob said, it was only temporary. Yes, people might have learned how how life might look like where everyone... Uh, takes care to reduce their emissions. But the problem I I saw is that a lot of the conferences that were planned that were uh, trying to tackle the climate crisis, they couldn't take place. And at the same time, uh, politicians felt pretty safe, or at least that was my opinion, felt pretty safe in this environment of, A, we have another uh, crisis to tackle. We have the corona crisis now. This is more urgent, more important. We don't have time for the climate crisis. And as you can all see, our rivers are less polluted, our air is fresher, so I feel like when we reach the end of COVID, of this corona crisis, we'll actually face a situation where the the climate crisis is even more urgent than we thought because during this year of corona pandemic, no one had the time or put the energy into fighting the climate crisis. So we'll enter this time with less legislation and less structure and plan for um, this great crisis that is to come. When you think of the corona crisis and the climate crisis, the corona crisis is the sprint, but the climate crisis is the marathon.
0: And speaking of legislation, uh, Jakob, near the end of last month, uh, the EU member states agreed on this 750 billion euro stimulus package as as part of its budget to fight the pandemic. Let's listen to what uh, Chancellor Angela Merkel said about it. So, this is Merkel talking after leaders agreed to the EU budget, and she said 30 percent of the funds are tied to what she calls the two big future tasks. So, that's climate and digitalization. Jakob, can you offer some more insight on, on specifically what is in this budget in regards to climate change?
1: yeah basically overall they were they were negotiating one point eight trillion euros because it wasn 't the budget was one part, and then then uh, a covid um, extra stimulus was the second part and um if you look at the specific programs for um uh, green uh, technology stuff like that uh, for example hydrogen or something like that. They were really reduced in the last moments of the five-day marathon conference they had, um, the EU leaders. The outcome wasn't great. I mean, there's more money being spent on some climate abatement projects, some climate mitigation projects and so on. Then the second part, if you like, is how is the overall spending being in control for being in line with climate change? And 30% was more than was on the table initially. So um, in some sense, this is quite something. I I think the outcome is good. Overall, um, maybe not as good as some hoped for. Secondly, um, of course, the big question still hanging in the air is the reduction target for the EU for 2030, because the EU wants to become climate neutral in 2050. But um, for 2030, the target at the moment is a 40% reduction. And there's a lot of discussions going on between the countries and uh, inside Brussels. Should we aim for 50%, 55%, that's what the Commission said. Germany is reluctantly um, supporting this. Some want to aim lower, some want to aim higher. There's some progress, but we're far from the big decision that makes the path clear for the next decades.
0: Clara, I want to bring you in. There was an open letter you recently signed along with thousands of other activists and um, also scientists. It was sent to EU leaders and other heads of state last month with a number of demands, um, including halting all investments in in fossil fuels and also treating climate change with the same vigor that the pandemic has been handled with. So I want to read an excerpt. Um, One line in it said, it is now clearer than ever that the climate crisis has never once been treated as a crisis, neither from the politicians, media, business, nor finance. Can you explain this part more, how you think climate change hasn't been treated as a crisis, and why it should be?
2: The climate crisis is the greatest social crisis that we're currently running into. And what I mean by that is the same people that have suffered the most due to corona, the people that are financially and socially disadvantaged in our society, those are the same people that will suffer due to the corona crisis. And while politicians are now telling those people that they're acting in favor of them, they're ignoring or at least not doing enough to tackle this other really great crisis that will affect uh, especially the, the poorest and the most disadvantaged people in society. What we have seen is that yes, politicians can act, Tons of financial aids can be uh, made available to tackle this corona crisis, and yet the climate crisis is still rushing into our faces, and we're not currently doing everything in our power to stop this from happening, to prevent the people from, from losing their jobs, their lives maybe, their place where they live. In the end, what politicians are now doing is, for the most part, ignoring this really great crisis, hoping that other topics will dominate the news.
1: Jakob,
0: do you agree that we should be treating climate change as a crisis?
1: Of course, it's the biggest environmental problem on Earth. No questions about it. Maybe the loss of um, biodiversity is almost as big a problem, but it's it's a clear second, I think. I mean, there's so much uncertainty. uh, We can see what happens already in the Arctic this year. Global warming will, will have massive uh, impacts. We don't know when they will come. We don't know exactly how they will look, but um, it's a delicate system we're playing with. Yeah, and of course, we haven't addressed that enough as a society. I, I mean, the big question, of course, is how do you put it into relation to other problems? I mean, are we willing to completely deindustrialize? I don't know, go back to to a very basic, poorer lifestyle? I think what we've seen during the last two years is a quite dramatic shift towards more ambitious climate policies um, in Germany and Europe. But of course, it's never fast enough.
0: But it's fair to say that climate change has not been treated as a crisis in the way the pandemic has. And so would you say that it shouldn't be?
1: It doesn't kill people today. And you're not even sure if someone is a climate warming um, victim or not, it's very hard to attribute it. I mean, you make a COVID test and you know this person died of, uh, of COVID, but uh, you never know uh, which part of the destabilization of a society, which ecological problem, or even which deaths are attributable to, to uh, climate change. It's just a huge stressor on the system as a whole.
2: Jakob, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but the climate crisis is already killing people in the global south. And there are many cases where it was pretty sure that certain floods, certain hurricanes, certain droughts were directly linked to the climate crisis, and that they did have great effects on the health and the lives of huge parts of, of the people in the global south. So saying that the climate crisis is not affecting us today and saying that it doesn't kill people today is a very privileged um, way of thinking about this crisis, a, a way of thinking of them versus us, which is not the case.
1: Oh, come on. Uh, <laughs> them versus us. I, I, I'm uh, looking at it more from, from the scientific perspective. There's attribution research going on. It's hard. You, you, you can only work with Probabilities. I mean, some heat waves, for example, are much more probable. They could have happened without climate change as well. It's just much more unlikely, and so on. And when people die of hunger and so on, it's always related to politics, how society works. It's always related to the overall social problems we have that um, the, the South is poor, or the global South is poor, the North is rich. That's a huge problem. But it's very hard to, to separate the causes, I think.
2: No doubt, but the point is that uh, people are suffering greatly. Scientists are saying that the probability that people are actually dying because of this crisis is very high. Mm-hmm. And framing mm-hmm. the crisis as a thing of the future is actually very, very problematic because people are already suffering under this crisis. And by saying that it is far away and will affect us in maybe 20, no, years. No, no, no. I didn't say that. Then, no, no,
1: no. No, I agree with you. I mean, it it is killing people. Climate change is killing people. We just can't say who it is killing and when it is killing. You won't find a person where you can say, oh, this person was killed by climate change. That's impossible. And that's very different to COVID. And that makes it so much harder for us to act as a society. But um, of course, the, the basic mechanism is there. It's just that you can't connect the dots. I'm, I'm not saying that uh, that people don't get killed by climate change. I'm saying we don't know for sure who, when and where got killed.
2: I, I can only talk for me, but for me, that makes the crisis even more frightening. We don't know who will suffer from it the most. We, will, we don't know what effects it will have in our society. So mm-hmm. we need to be especially prepared for this crisis because we don't know when and how it will hit.
0: Clara, I I do want to ask you specifically about the health crisis we're in. You are actually taking a break right now from your job to talk with us, and you work in intensive care at the Red Cross ICU. So you've had this up-close personal experience with the pandemic. What are some of the lessons you've seen come out of the response to this health crisis?
2: Well, um, a lot of the relevant jobs for a system that have been neglected for the last decades. They were suddenly on this pedestal of attention. Although that didn't last for very long, I feel the debate about how how much nurses should work and should get paid is already off the, the news cycle. But in the end, there was a debate about what jobs are relevant to our system to all of us and In which ways can we support those jobs in the future and the point is in order to tackle the climate crisis we need a better infrastructure a better system especially concerning care jobs so nursing teachers we need those jobs especially we need to support them even more than we do right now because the climate crisis can lead to massive damages to our infrastructure to sickness to poverty and we need to be well adjusted to that what i had have seen the climate crisis is a further debate on which jobs should we as a society support even further, which jobs are especially necessary for all of us, and how can we make those jobs desirable, and and how can we make the people that work in those jobs better equipped to tackle another crisis. So if we continue that debate, I think we're on a good way.
0: Jakob, I I want to bring you in. Um, There's this idea of of getting back to normal or figuring out what a new normal looks like. Could you give us some idea of any progress in Berlin in regards to sustainability or mobility during the pandemic and also what might be sustained after the COVID-19 health crisis?
1: Uh, Unfortunately, I don't don't think so that in Berlin there is much substantial change going on. Yeah, the pop-up bike lanes, everybody's talking about them. I think it's 20-something pop-up bike lanes. There's much more um, cycling traffic, um, but there's uh, probably after COVID more uh, car traffic as well. And probably that's a net zero effect. I don't see much investment going on on the local level in renewable energy or anything, but I think cities are important for changing habit. they have to completely reorganize their transport infrastructure uh, in the long term but they need infrastructure for electric cars and uh, they need to insulate their houses and so on so cities have a role but i think it's easy to overestimate their their role we need to decarbonize our industries, for example, which is huge, steel furnaces, chemical plants, and so on. That's, That's something really, really, really big. And no everyday change in behavior can really have a massive impact compared to that. We need to change the industrial fabric of our country.
0: And Clara, what do you think? I mean, what should this idea of getting back to normal look like?
2: Normal was a crisis. We cannot go back to to the past, to a government, new society that did way too less to tackle this, the, the greatest social crisis that we are facing, which is the climate crisis. What I'm hoping for the future is a normal where politicians put all their efforts into tackling the climate crisis right after we tackle this corona crisis, where it is obvious that after putting so much effort into the corona crisis that we can do the same for the climate crisis and where we live in a society where it is made easy for everyone to live a climate-friendly life and where individuals are not burdened with a climate crisis, whether financially or socially.
0: We're going to have to leave it there, but thank you both for joining me. Uh, Jakob Schlant is from the energy and climate briefing of the Berlin newspaper Der Tagesspiegel, and Clara Meyer is a press speaker for Fridays for Future Germany here in Berlin.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Uh, it was a great discussion.
2: Yeah, thank you too. It was a very stimulating talk.
0: We're taking a short break. When we come back, we will hear from a climate scientist about the challenges Germany faces and the lessons learned from the pandemic. Stay with us.
1: I'm Todd Zwillick. We named 1A after the First Amendment. It's for everybody, especially the curious. And because things are rarely black and white, 1A brings you all the colors. Join me weekdays and keep listening to this NPR station throughout the day. Tune into 1A weekdays at four on 104.1 KCRW Berlin.
0: Welcome back to Studio Berlin. Today on the program, we're talking about the pandemic's effect on climate change policy and what lessons Germany has learned over these past months. Joining me now is Dr. Kira Finke. She is a scientist from the Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research. Welcome, and and thanks for being on the show.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
0: You recently wrote a report for the uh, German Review on the United Nations, where you argue that the pandemic is part of a larger crisis, a, a systemic crisis. Can you elaborate on that?
3: Yes. So um, the pandemic and climate change, they're both results of uh, an over-exploitation of of different resources. In in the case of climate change, it's of course fossil fuel resources. And in the case of the pandemic, it's uh, the over-exploitation of animals, right? So the consumption of wildlife um, that uh, has led to the spread of zoonotic diseases to humans. Um, And both of these, over-exploitation, they are kind of symptomatic of our relationship with nature. And um, I think also many have realized that, that our lives are harming the planet, the biosphere, it's harming different species, and in the end it's harming ourselves. So in that sense, um, it's part of the ecological crisis um, since the, the origin of the pandemic comes from uh, over-exploitation um, of um, yeah, animals, basically, um, for consumption.
0: And you say that climate protection is crisis prevention. So do you mean also in preventing future viruses and diseases?
3: So there is a connection um, there, even though it's not a completely direct connection. Um, so for example, if we burn forests, this releases a lot of CO2 into the atmosphere. Um, And at the same time, it, of course, um, reduces the availability of um, habitats for wildlife, making the interactions between humans and wildlife more likely to occur. And this can then again lead to the spreading of uh, zoonotic diseases to humans. So there may be also a link between the spread of disease um, and the causes of climate change, although this this was not the main issue um, for the COVID-19 pandemic. There, we, um, we had an over exploitation of animals, too close contact with animals, which then led to the spread of disease in the end to humans. If we look into the future, we have to understand that this deep ecological crisis that we are in will lead to a host of problems that we cannot really anticipate, even. Some of them we know already, we, uh, we know about uh, deep changes that are already underway with regards to, for example, the ice sheets or with regards to certain types of forests and with regards to desertification. But there's also these type of events that are harder to anticipate. And this worries also our scientists that the risks are not sufficiently mitigated yet.
0: During the pandemic, we have seen some international efforts to work together, in some cases to have a more coordinated response. Do you think there are lessons we will take away so that people are collaborating more on climate change policy in the future? Yes. I mean, what we see is that
3: if we are united, we can really tackle complex problems. And um, we also saw that the effective measures against the pandemic really showed that individual actions do make a difference in the grand scheme of things. Adhering to the social distancing measures, adhering to wearing masks and such, was possible to reduce the rate of infection, and um, we see that the small actions do accumulate to a larger picture, and I think this is a very powerful insight that um, can be also applied to climate change, and um, this really means that collective action can help us to overcome these these grand challenges. We also saw that uh, if we are divided in terms of non-coherent approaches in terms of kind of chaotic responses to these complex problems, like for example, the onset of a spread of uh, disease, then this can lead to situations that become unmanageable. And this is also a powerful lesson to learn is that um, we have to act on early to, um, to avert larger damages, for example, like, like deaths or economic damages and such.
0: You mentioned th- that during the pandemic, there are these smaller things that you can do, like wearing a mask or social distancing on a more individual level to mitigate the spread of COVID-19. So what are some of the examples in your mind of smaller ways that people can take individual responsibility to tackle climate change?
3: Yes, I mean, the, the first and foremost thing is, of course, to put political pressure, to get education about it, to Um, to spread knowledge about it, Um, but then also to see what one can change in their own life. So as I told you before we started this conversation, I'm now uh, traveling to to Slovenia by train and it's actually a great experience, right? So um, there can also be some kind of positive changes of things you would have normally not done, like taking a train ride across Europe is much more climate friendly than using airplanes and such. I know it can be hard and can be overwhelming to feel like, oh, there's so many things that are wrong in our system, you know, for example, with the recent scandal about meat consumption and tenures and um, with the fashion industry and so many things, you know, and sometimes it gets so so overwhelming that uh, we forget maybe just to start with one or two things that are maybe easier for us to change instead of becoming overwhelmed by so many challenges to be addressed at the same time.
0: The nonprofit German Watch ranked Germany on its global climate risk index as number three um, in its list of the 10 most affected countries by weather events in 2018. And that um, index looks at both fatalities and economic losses to rank countries. And Germany is actually the only country in Europe on this top 10 list. Where are we seeing the consequences of climate change most um, here?
3: Ah, we can see it in, in, in different forms. I mean, we had uh, extreme years of droughts in the past. Um, we had, again, hot summers. Uh, this has led to very devastating consequences for agriculture, but also people very much suffer. Uh, their health is uh, compromised by uh, heat waves and such. So we see that. Um, we also see extreme flooding events in the past. We see also the, I mean, this, this type of rainfall-induced flooding events, but then we also see coastal flooding, right? So we have coastal regions that need to be protected. Um, we are not as um, exposed or vulnerable as other countries. For example, I did a lot of my research in, in Bangladesh and the situation, obviously, there is a completely different one. But um, we are also threatened in our way of living in the end. And we only have limited amounts of time to avert the largest dangers.
0: Earlier on the show with um, my first two guests, we talked about if climate change is being treated as a crisis in comparison to the pandemic. And the question also came up if it's possible to draw a direct link to say that people are dying as a direct result from climate change. What do you think?
3: So um, it is a crisis and it has to be taken seriously. But of course, and uh, this is the tricky thing, these processes are very indirect and it's hard to trace back cause and and effect, right? This is also what makes these legal cases around paying back farmers who have lost their crops because of a climate extreme events from maybe coal companies or something like this or energy companies makes them legally so difficult, right? This indirectness also makes it morally easier for us to detach ourselves, right? So if I remind myself constantly that, you know, by the time I, step on the gas pedal in the car, you know, I'm maybe the one uh, who induces the death of a child in Bangladesh in 50 years from now, it's a terrible thought, right? But it's so far that we don't think in that way, right? We don't, um, we can kind of dissociate us from this guilt or from this responsibility. It's also natural um, to to have this type of um, disassociation. but I think it's something uh, we, we need to work on and we need to do so uh, collectively as a society and not only blaming individuals or individual companies.
0: As we know, the German government is focused right now on the pandemic primarily. But what is still being done in terms of climate protection?
3: There's a lot of different initiatives and um Thankfully, it was the kind of recovery plan for after the pandemic, after the lockdown measures, or even already, uh, it excluded some of the polluting industries. So that's very positive uh, to see. But if you look at the enormity of the challenge, we really have to step up as if we're still all going in in the wrong direction. Some countries are going slower because they're maybe more ambitious. Some countries are going faster in the wrong direction we're all still in the wrong direction and we need to turn around.
0: Well, thank you for your time today. Dr. Kira Finka is with the Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research.
3: Thank you so much,
0: And that does it for us today on Studio Berlin. Be sure to tune in next week when we'll be talking about Berlin schools as students and teachers head back. And a reminder, you can now find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. So be sure to subscribe to Studio Berlin and let your friends know too. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. Have a good week.